Thank you for that. Uh, could you go on the road with me? Actually, just come to my house and tell my wife the things you think are great about me. That'd be really helpful for me right now. I appreciate that. What's up, Minnesota? How y'all doing tonight? Minnesota. Any Vikings fans around here? Okay. Any Packer fans? They were louder. Okay. It's really testing things here. Any Alabama Crimson fan? Crimson Tide fans here? Yeah. Go ahead and leave. Just go. Don't even want you here. The only Crimson Tide I care about is the blood of Jesus. All right? I don't care about How about any Saints? I don't even like football. I don't even know why I'm asking you guys these stupid questions. I don't even care. Well, I want to say thank you again and welcome tonight. It is an absolute privilege to get to speak. Uh, first time I've ever spoken at a district council. I'm not on any circuit, speaker circuit. I'm, I am on YouTube because our church posts on there. I'm not some uh, YouTube teenager. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I am uh, so thankful for the opportunity. You have no idea how humbled I was to be asked to be here. And anytime God opens a door for me to use the gift he's given me to communicate, it is totally my privilege and honor. My name is Mike Burnett. And my wife Stephanie and I are privileged to serve as pastors of Life Point Church in Clarksville, Tennessee. We are pastoring together, and it's been such a joy. We've been there 12 years, have an amazing team. One of our exec, exec team members is here with me, Elmer. Uh, he oversees all of our worship and events. He's just brilliant, great leader. And uh, we're here to serve you. So we're not green room junkies. We'll be in the lobby after service tonight, and we want to serve you the best we know how. I do have um, the blessing of my family to be here. And so uh, I wanted to introduce my family to you if I can. I didn't get to do this last night, but my wife and four daughters, everybody. Come on, I got four girls. Yeah. <clears throat> so I, uh, my wife is the, their, their heights are all messed up now, but she's the one in the jacket uh, in the, you know, almost the middle. But anyway, uh, then Lucy is my oldest. She's 15 and not available. I hate every teenage boy in the world. Julia is my alpha. She is everything I did to my mom. She's doing it to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, anyway, she's my strong-willed child that uh, James Dobson is trying to counsel me through raising. But she's, honestly, she's got a high justice orientation. She's super passionate, incredibly gifted, has led worship in our church at 12 years old. She's amazing. She's 13 now. Uh, Hallie is as bright as her name. That's her face all the time. The third one there with the flower dress and the scrunchie. Uh, and then Brooklyn runs the house. She is the baby. And she is so much fun. That little sass right there. We ask so many times, just put your hands down, put your hands down. And they go, three, two, and she kicks it up, man. She just, that's Brooklyn. So this is my family, and uh, they've sent me here, and uh, they, I can't wait to be back with them tomorrow. Uh, so anyway, uh, I love having four daughters. I grew up with brothers. My dad had brothers. And both of my brothers had sons. And I'm the only one with daughters but that's because it takes a real man to have girls. <laughs> and let me just tell you something, fellas. Girls are better. Now read your Bible. The Bible says God made man from the dust of the earth. You're a dirtbag. <laughs> it's how it started for you, fellas. And every time I look at a teenage boy that's checking out my daughters, I go... You're a dirtbag. <laughs> Can all the fathers of daughters say amen? amen? When my fourth daughter was born, I live in the South, so we hunt, we fish, you know, we um, have weapons. <laughs> and I'm in a military town, so I serve uh, out, outside of Fort Campbell, the 101st 
Aviation Brigade is there, and I'm so honored to serve in an army town, which is an incredible irony. You'll hear my story in just a minute. But um, when my fourth daughter was born, every kid that's been born, I got a gift of a weapon, a knife, a machete, whatever. And when my fourth kid was born, a buddy of mine came to the hospital room with a backpack on. I thought that was weird, you know. I thought, you don't need a diaper bag or anything, do you, bro? It's my kid. And he comes into the room with us, and uh, he sits down on the couch, and he holds Brooklyn. And then he kind of peeks his head out the door, and, and then he says, Mike, Pastor Mike, with all these girls, you need a lot of protection, so I'm just doing my part. And he pulls out a loaded 38, <laughs> and he says, God bless you, my friend. And I was like, hey. Now, all you pacifists in the room, just get over it. I didn't make the guy give it to me, and I haven't used it yet. <laughs> Thanks again for having me. This is my last tour of Minnesota. <laughs> no, honestly, I... <clears throat> I am truly honored to be here. Thank you, Superintendent Dean, again. It's truly my honor to serve you and to serve your pastors. I do have a, I'm not a a product salesman, but I I wrote a book, and I wanted to make sure that you knew about it, why it's, there's a random book, a stack of red books in the lobby. But um, I'm going to share a little bit about my story from this book tonight, but I'm not going to preach a sermon out of this book, I promise you. Uh, But our church was listed, Fast Growing Church in America in 2018. It was such an honor to the Lord, and we give God all the glory for that. Uh, I took over a dying church. In 2010, we had 52 voting members and two and a half million in debt. So I want to tell any of you that are in a place that you feel it's hard and you're up against the wall, God can do what he wants with his church. Just let him, you know, and and he can do something amazing. And just keep working hard. Keep showing up. Don't get discouraged. Trust the Lord. And um, just let God do what he wants. It's his problem, right? I used to pray, God, this is your church, so these are your bills. (laughs) This is your church, and that family is your problem. Um, So anyway... um, our church grew really fast and was noted by Outreach Magazine as a fast-growing church in America. And a lot of pastors and leaders would call and ask for coaching and help. And they kept asking this question, what would you do? How did you do this? How did you do that? And I kept saying, we do the same thing you do. We do Sunday morning sermons, you know, worship. We have a building we can't afford. You know, we got musicians that don't sign, like hit yes on Planning Center. We got kid point workers that don't show up. I mean, we got all the same problems as you. And I used to challenge pastors on the culture of their church and how does it feel to go to church there. Now, some of y'all heard this last night, but some of you are new tonight, so that's why I'm telling it again. But, but I challenged the culture of their church, and, and then I started really evaluating what if Jesus was the senior pastor of our churches actually. We say that he's the Lord of the church, but really the pastor and the board are kind of running stuff and, and the staff are, or the trends on uh, social media may set the culture of our church. But what if Jesus was the pastor? What if it felt like he w- worked there? You know what I'm saying? And he, Jesus made this tricky statement. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then he never planted a church. <laughs> so it's like, hey, man, you left us hanging there. <laughs> well, he did teach about what it means to belong to his kingdom, and it's these parables. He's got 37 of them. And every single parable he started with a statement, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. And we've relegated those parables into basic, like, like good news story time, but they're actually secrets to what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven. And there's words described in his parables, generosity and hope and grace and forgiveness and go the distance and seek the missing. So I wrote the book saying, what if the parables of Jesus shaped the culture of your church more than what's trending on in church world or what's buzzing? You know, what if blue lights and smoke was not the culture maker of your church, but the parables of Jesus were? And so uh, the parable church, it's how the teachings of Jesus shaped the culture of our faith. And uh, I have it available for you. Uh, I brought 100 copies. I think we sold half of them last night. I'd love to sell them all because, frankly, um, 
It'd be good for my kid's college fund, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> thank you for the help. No, honestly, um, I, I, I'd love for you to get it any way that, it, that you can. There are 15 bucks in the lobby. Um, but I want to ask just if there's somebody in the room, honestly, and, and you may feel vulnerable when I ask you this, but if you're in a place where you feel as a pastor, you're pastoring a church and you feel stuck, like you're a little discouraged, you're coming here, maybe you're at a, a pivotal point and you, you're probably embarrassed to answer this, but this is who I, I was praying during the uh, worship time, I want to give this book to somebody. And I felt like the Lord said, give it to somebody who will admit that he's discouraged. And so if there's a leader in the room, a pastor that says, I'm discouraged, I'm not like going to hurt myself or do anything self-destructive or quit or run out like Jerry Maguire and take the fish. But you say, I'm just, man, I don't know what to do to break through or, or like get some momentum or get the culture right in my church. If that's you, could you just raise your hand and I just want to toss nobody's either honest or all of your churches are amazing. Is there anybody at all? Thank you. Would you come there? Let me just give this to you. What's your name? Trina. Trina. Trina, you say like you just need a little pick-me-up, a little encouragement. Well, I'm going to arrogantly tell you this book will encourage you, like incredibly. Hey, this is my gift to you. God bless you. Thank, thanks for what you do. Yeah. God bless Trina. One of the things I like about this district so far is you guys seem to be honest That wasn't meant as a jab, but as I said it, I thought that's going to feel like a jab. <laughs> just as I've, as I've gotten to interact with a lot of you, you guys, you're, you seem honest. Watching you in worship is just so inspiring and so moving. And I, I just want to say to Ryan and your team, man, wow, wow, thank you for leading us so well in worship tonight. Just a sweet spirit and a presence of the Lord here. Turn with me to Luke 19. I'm going to share with you one of my favorite stories of Jesus meeting an outsider. Uh, it's the story of the interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus. And as you can probably tell, I identify with Zacchaeus a lot. Um, <laughs> he's a hero. I feel like it, that whole story was written for me. And I'll actually tell you it's true that I do, um, but not for reasons you might suspect. In fact, I have no idea. You know, there's all these hashtag probs that people have now, right? So like hashtag Minnesota probs, which is snow 12 months of the year. Or, um, you, know, you know, hashtag tall people probs. That's my life, okay? In fact, I don't know at all. My wife's 5'2 and a half. She says 5'3 because she's holy. But, but I don't know what it's like to not be able to see over the fridge. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's my hiding space. That's where I put stuff I don't want her to know about or my kids. That's where I put my candy. I don't know what it's like. I mean, I, I don't know what it's like to not know that the top of the fridge is dusty because, frankly, it always is, and I know that. My wife will go, you can see that? I'll go, of course I can. I don't know what it's like to not be able to reach a shelf. I don't know what that's like. In fact, uh, tall people probs are different. Like Zacchaeus had his issues, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But I've got, tall people got issues too. My man right here, help me out. I want to show you, this, this was me coming to serve you. Just yesterday, I flew down on this big old jumbo jet, right? It's 2022, and this is me trying to go to the bathroom <laughs> in an airplane. I want you to notice both shoulders are touching walls here. Now, I just need to point out the toilet's on the right side of that photo. So in order to use it, I'm either like going like I can't see or like this is terrible. This was the worst part of my day yesterday. So I want everybody who can stand up in an airplane bathroom to just chill. And I want you to understand, my man, we've got problems too. <laughs> That was embarrassing, honestly. I came out of there. I couldn't stand up. It was so bad. And I'm washing my hands like 
like a gymnast, you know. I felt like I had to work really hard. In fact, the gap between the toilet base and the door was shorter than my feet are long. I wear a 15. So I get in there and I couldn't shut the door because the door kept hitting my foot. So I had to stand like this to shut the door in this baby bathroom. Tall people props. So speaking of Zacchaeus, Jesus has entered Jericho, and he had to pass through there. And there's a a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector who was rich and seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he couldn't see because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead, and he climbed in a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place... Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down and come here, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down. And he came and received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, notice he didn't speak to the crowd. He said to the Lord, behold, Lord. Half of my goods I'll give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Lord, would you bless the reading and preaching and explanation of your word. God, may it change us forever from this day forward in Jesus' name. Amen. I find this passage to be one so powerfully, especially for anybody who says, I want to make a difference. Can I just ask, is there anyone here that says, I want to make a difference for the kingdom of God forever? Come on, for real. Like, you can't just say it because other people are saying it. You got to be for real. Like, I really want to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Okay, then this is a text for you. If you don't want to make a difference, just get on your phone for a little while. I want to tell you a little bit about my backstory, and these are things that you won't know. I actually write a little bit about this in the opening of my book because it sets the tone of why I even wrote the book and why I pastor the way I do. But I'm a fan of outsiders. I'm a fan of misfits. I like stories and movies about outsiders, underdogs. I love the Sandlot. I love movies where people don't fit. My favorite guy on the Goonies, they're all Goonies and misfits. My favorite one of the Goonies was Chunk, because that was me. I was the truffle shuffle kid. (laughs) But I love the people who seem to be misfits, who who, who don't, don't... Click in like a like a square peg in a round hole. I'm the square peg in a or excuse me, square peg in a square hole. As a kid, my brothers and I were misfits. I grew up the youngest and smartest of three boys with a single mom. My thank you for catching that. My mom and dad divorced when I was a year old. I've never lived in the same zip code as my dad. We were normal boys though. We broke everything. When we figured out that hairspray was flammable and a blowtorch, it was a bad day for everyone else. We had singe marks all over the carpet of our house. We had little burn piles everywhere. I caught a field on fire just for fun. We lived out in Louisiana. We lived next door to the Louisiana LSU Shreveport campus. And it was summertime and there was this field on the edge of the campus that butted up next to the apartment complex we lived in. And the grass on the edge had gotten really tall and it was a soccer field. It got really tall like this tall and it was completely dry. And I'm playing with a lighter and blowtorch. I'm like, This will probably go quick. Boom, gone. And I just, this fire just went. And all of a sudden, we left. Like, we just ran. 
The fire department comes, and then we come strolling back like 10 minutes later. What happened? And they said, some kids set the field on fire. And I blamed another kid, Jason Self. To this day, he has no idea it was me, but... We burned everything, we broke everything, and we ate everything. Raising three boys, my mom could not keep groceries in the house. We grew up without a dad. We didn't respect authority. I hated my father. We got in trouble a lot. I was put on probation at 12 years old for shoplifting, and I was a really good thief until that fateful day. (laughs) I stole all the time. I could cuss in all parts of speech. One time, a 70-year-old neighbor walked all the way up the street to our house. My mom, we moved to Tennessee. She worked for the VA. She's a social worker. And she got a job with the VA in East Tennessee. So that's why we got there. And she bought a house for $59,000. It was the greatest thing she'd ever done in her life. She's raising these three boys. I was 10. We were 10, 12, and 14. And about a year into that neighbor, into that house, we lived at the dead end of a street. Uh, A neighbor walked all the way up the street just to tell us that we were the reason people were moving out of our neighborhood. He comes to scold us, and it's like, you know, 8 o'clock at night, and he says, you boys are blockbusters. And this is 1992. So he goes, do you know what that means? I was like, I'm a movie store. I don't, like, (laughs) I'm breaking records. You know, I'm 12. He goes, you're the the kind of people that break up neighborhoods. That's what a blockbuster originally was. Like, you just destroy communities. Well, when I was seven or eight years old, my family, we were living in Shreveport, Louisiana. We were attending. Um, my mom had us in and out of church a lot growing up, but never consistent. And what would happen is my mom would feel guilty. She had a note, like we're Southern, right? So we believe in God. We just don't live for God. That's how it rolls in the South. And so every period, periodically every season, my mom would get us into church. And then we start going for a while. And I got baptized at every church we went to. Uh, at this one in particular, they held me down for a little longer. I don't know why. That's a true story. But it was an apostolic oneness holiness church in Shreveport where they do foot washings. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been traumatized through a foot washing before? (laughs) At nine years old, seven years old, I had to wash the pastor's claws, his eagle talon toenails. It was terrible. (laughs) Well, this was an apostolic church where the women couldn't cut their hair. They had to wear long denim skirts. You know, they couldn't wear makeup. And my mom kept her hair cut at her shoulder. She wore makeup. She had a profession where she wore like the Hillary Clinton kind of suit jacket things, you know, the skirt suits. I don't know what they're called. I'm a dude. But (laughs) true story, one Sunday night, we were there every Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. And my mom always sat us in the front, second row from the front, next to Miss Charlene, who was her assigned mentor. Because my poor mom was a single mom who wore makeup and short hair and skirts above the knee, and had these three little hellion sons. And Charlene was her project manager. And we probably went there for about a year. My mom never grew her hair out. She always rebelled against rules. And one Sunday night, the pastor, Brother Bird, I'll never forget, was preaching his sermon, and he stops his message because my brothers and I, in order to keep quiet, how many of you thankful that any distraction will keep a child quiet, including death threats in church, right? I swear if you don't be quiet when I get home, you know. My mom allowed us to have a copy of Thrasher magazine, which was new, the skateboard magazine that had just kind of recently been come out with Tony Hawk and others. And my brothers and I were sitting there just looking at this magazine while the pastor was preaching. And the pastor stopped his message and looked at my mom on the second row. 
and said, Miss Burnett, you and your boys need to get out of here. And then he said, we've tried with you, we've tried to work with you, and you won't change. You got to go. And so my mom and my older two brothers and I stood up from the second row of that church, and we took the long walk of shame out of the back of that church. And no one stood up with us. No one stopped us and said, no, 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 stay, stay, stay. It was as if the, it was as if the entire room was in agreement with this very cold moment in our lives. To this day, my mom still does not attend church. We left that church and left church for about a decade. It was by God's grace at 17, I met Jesus for real at a judgment house on Halloween. I call that the Lord's Day, where they scared hell right out of me. See, I was churched enough and I was Southern enough to believe heaven and hell were real and Jesus was the only way. I just knew I wouldn't live for God. So I go to this judgment house with a girl because she was cute and she asked me to go. That was simple motivation. But I met Jesus. But the reality is I've been a misfit for most of my life. I'm 6'6". I'm big and I'm loud and I tend to work with introverts and reserved people, people who are verbally disciplined. In high school, my freshman year, I decided no longer to play football because musical rehearsals were in the fall. And at 6'6", 260 pounds, I didn't play lineman anymore. I sang on the back row of the choir. I didn't wrestle. I sang and danced in musicals. That's a bit of a misfit. I ticked off every coach that was also my history teacher. (laughs) But I ended up going to school on a full-ride opera scholarship because you never break a leg singing opera. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the benefit of not playing football. We all live around misfits. We all live around misfits all the time. They're in the church world. We have our own misfits. I mean, in the, in the church, in, in Bible times, we had misfits like lepers and epileptics and women with issues of bleeding or unbelieving Philistines, people from Samaria, Gentiles, tax collectors. Even today, we have misfits in our culture. In the church world, outside of the church world, we have people who don't fit our paradigm. They don't seem to have it together enough to belong to us. We feel it in the Christian bubble. We feel it in our churches, our neighborhoods at work. For some of us, the misfits look like people with different faiths or different lifestyles. Those who don't vote like we do or think people from different ethnic backgrounds should be marginalized. We, we stigmatize the pregnant mom still. And of course, we know the discomfort of knowing, not knowing how to engage people who date or live in different sexual orientations than us. We have misfits everywhere we go. But I'm convinced that many of the people we may call misfits, God's called his creation. And many of the people that we've said they don't belong to us, God says, I wish they belonged to me. And he desires to be in fellowship with them. And he desires that they would be in community with his body, the church. They may not have their act together like my family didn't, but yet God still gave his son for the misfits. God still gave his son for those who don't belong to him yet. And Jesus loves misfits deeply. There's a prevailing prevailing mentality among church people. And I've 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 had the pleasure of serving in ministry for over 20 years. So I've worked with you guys for a long time. And church people have this idea that church is for them. I want to say this to everyone with a religious spirit that thinks that church should be a place that feeds them and meets their needs. Church is not for you. 
even more the church. We say things like, I want to be in a church that's, that's my style and my brand or my preferences. Church is my kind of people, my denomination, a preacher that preaches where I can get fed, the worship I like, my skin color, my comfort level. Church is not just for church people. Church is a gathering of the body of Christ and a gathering of the people. It's, it's the belonging to a family, specifically a place where God can use his family to attract lost people to himself. God uses church people, listen, empowered by his spirit and leaders equipped by his spirit to reach the world. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul writes, it's that through the church, it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. It doesn't say that the church should be a building and that the church should be a gathering of Christians to get into a holy huddle and just navel gaze at all of their preferences. It's through us that God has chosen to reach the world. And I want you to understand this. There is no plan B. There's no other group that God's going to commission. There's no parachurch group. There's no other group. There's no, nothing else but the church that Jesus has commissioned with an assignment. And listen, the assignment is not more Christians. My God, quit building churches with other church people. Quit swapping sheep. Go after the lost and the missing because misfits need to become family. But the truth is, churches don't think that way. I'd venture to say most of you at some point in your church history have decided, I want to go to a church that I like. I pastor a church, and there's things about it I don't like. You know why? Because I'm not the audience of the church. Jesus is. I'm always amazed when people in the church go, I didn't like the worship. Well, good, we weren't singing to you anyway. It's like telling hungry people, you don't like the food, we're feeding them. That doesn't make any sense to me. We're so pretentious and so snobby. Am I talking about anybody else's church besides y'all's? <laughs> but I'm just going to tell you, there's families like mine that keep popping into our churches, and keep showing up in our houses, and they know they're a misfit before they even come, and we just make sure they know it like that pastor did to us. So I want us to look together at the story of a misfit named Zacchaeus. And I want to challenge you. You probably know where this is going, but I promise you it's going to take a turn you didn't see coming. Look again at the story of Zacchaeus. And I want you to see, first of all, that this is something we should all know. You're all here because you're in ministry. People are desperate. First thing you write notes, people are desperate to see Jesus. It is in felt need and an unfelt need to know God. There are people that get stirred, right? When, when Jesus taught the parable of the two sons, you've called it the parable of the prodigal son. It's called the parable of the two sons. He talks about a father had two sons and one left, and he spent everything. And, it, and in the mud and the pig slop, he's, he's begging the pigs for food. Can you imagine getting to a point as a Jewish boy where you go, hey, piggy, you going to eat that? That's a pretty bad spot. And here's what Jesus says about him. Then he came to himself and realized it's better at my father's house. You know, Jesus said, nobody comes to me unless the Father's drawing them. And there are people in your city, people in your town, people in your farming community that God is awakening. God is bringing them to come to themselves. And they're going, i got to get back to the Father's house. There is a life that's better than this life. People are desperate to see Jesus. Go back to Luke 19, verse 1. It said, Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. By the way, Jesus never does anything by happenstance or on accident. He wasn't actually just passing through. How many of you know Jesus doesn't do anything on accident? Jesus doesn't do anything without purpose. 
He was incredibly intentional to go there. Verse 2 says, Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Now, he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, most people will acknowledge Jesus or Zacchaeus was a little guy. That's what we talk about. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, right? But what you really need to know is he was a baller. He had tons of money, and he was a leader. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So you got to understand, first of all, most first century Jewish people were small. If you go and do any excavation or any history of the, of the, of the excavated works of the first century world, I mean, the, these guys were small. If you've ever been in, uh, what's it called, that tunnel in Israel? Whatever, it's by the city of David. It's uh, Hezekiah's tunnel. Thank you. It is the claustrophobic nightmare. That's what it is. It's a tunnel where they, they it, it was like a, it used in battle. But anyway, the, it was to move troops through the, the, this tunnel underground. Well, the ceiling height at most places in this tunnel is like this high. So guess how much I loved going through that. I felt like the guy in the bathroom. So Jesus enters Jericho, and they, they talk about Zacchaeus as a little fellow, but, but the reality is he was a tax collector, and that tells us something about Jesus. The reason, or, or Zacchaeus, Luke tells us this because it's showing us how, how much of a misfit he is to the Jewish culture. To be a tax collector means he was despised by culture. It's sort of how we feel about tax folks today, I guess. But he was doing this as a self-inflicted wound. Zacchaeus grew up in the traditions of the fathers and the faith of the Hebrews, but he had accepted this job. He had accepted this role that he would extract and extort taxes from his own people in order to make Rome really wealthy. They thought of him like a thief, a traitor, an extortionist, like a telemarketer. He took from his own people, the Hebrews, and he gave money to support Rome, to build pagan temples and Roman roads, and he got fat off of that as well. So he's taking money from his own family and his own lineage and his own heritage to tax these people that he says he loves, and he's giving it to Rome. It's a terrible position to be in, and he has resigned himself to know that I've been abandoned by my own people, but he's filthy rich and he's a leader. He's the chief. But look what it says in verse 3. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. Notice who's motivated to seek out Jesus. Zacchaeus was. That means somewhere along the way, Zacchaeus heard about this Jesus who brings women with issues of blood close or women at the well who were at the middle of the day, which culturally they knew that the woman at the well was a woman who uh, was not clean enough by social standards to gather water in the morning like everyone else. So she had to wait till the middle of the day in her shame. And Jesus had a way of making those people feel welcome. And he had a way of making others feel welcome close to him. So Zacchaeus had heard about him well enough to know that I need to seek this guy out when he comes through. By the way, are you, are you promoting Jesus well enough that lost people want to know who you're talking about? Do you ever talk about the Lord in a way that's compelling and convicting of people to know the God you say you serve? I mean, Zacchaeus, for some reason, was seeking to see Jesus. But on account of the crowd, we're not there just yet, brother. D, hang on. Stay put. We're not there yet. Were you playing? Is that like the Oscars when they pull me off because I went too long? <laughs> Just hang on. Hey, don't you love it? D, come on, give it up for my man D. Don't worry about it. Thank you. <laughs> I heard, I was like, am I done? Did you call him in? Doug, what are we doing? I got to get back into my head here. <laughs> I'll be done in just about, give me about... Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I was kicked out of church when I was eight. 
bring it back. Bring it back. So Zacchaeus, listen, he was, that was funny. I don't care what you say. Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus, but on account of the crowd, he couldn't see him. Now, that's a really interesting thing you need to highlight there. What blocked Zacchaeus was not, it was the crowd. We'll get back to that. Because he was small in stature. So here's what he does. He runs ahead, which, which for first century Jewish men, they don't run. That's why the story of the rich young, or the, the, um, the parable of the two sons is so crazy that the father ran to the son because these men don't run ahead. But Zacchaeus runs ahead of this mob and he climbs a tree. Remember, they wear man dresses, right? So this is awkward too. So he climbs into a sycamore tree because Jesus was about to pass through that way. Do y'all not read your Bible like this? I tell you. This is great. It's a true story. I don't want to be anywhere under that tree. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so here's this man, short in stature, which he couldn't help, made him a misfit, right? He was also the chief tax collector, made him a misfit. He was rich, made him a misfit. Nobody liked him, but he had heard about Jesus. And he wanted to see him. Maybe he couldn't face himself in the mirror anymore, so he'd rather look at Jesus. Maybe he was exhausted with himself. Maybe he knew that he had frauded his people for so long that he had no way forward in his life. Whatever the reason was, Zacchaeus shows a desperation to see Jesus, even to run ahead and climb a tree. That's the world we're living in. We live in neighborhoods and we go to work with people who are desperate for truth and desperate for the real Jesus. And where the church has struggled is we've not presented Jesus well enough or we've blocked people in our crowd so often that people have just decided to find, build, and write their own truths. But the reality is our world is full of people desperate for the truth of who God is in his son Jesus. Not just churchy bumper sticker Christianity. I'm talking about the real Jesus, not pseudotherapy Jesus. I'm talking about the Jesus who will change you, deliver you, set your mind at ease, and transform you forever. Our world needs Jesus. And our world is desperate for him. And it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. But did you notice in the text... Sometimes we miss, number two, that people are blocked from seeing Jesus. Verse 3 and 4, look again, on account of the crowd, he couldn't see him because he was short. So he runs ahead and climbs a tree. i got to be honest with you, sometimes the people who are so desperate to see Jesus are simply blocked by those of us who are familiar with Jesus. Sometimes the people who are so desperate to see Jesus, like my mom, are simply blocked by those of us who are familiar with Jesus. It was the disciples at the well. Jesus, what are you doing with this lady? It was the disciples when the thousands are hungry, but they would rather starve than get away from his teaching. And the disciples go, send these guys away. Sometimes those of us who are familiar with Jesus are the very culprits crowding out the desperate for Jesus. Sometimes we stand in the way of those looking for Jesus by our predispositions, our convictions, our truth that we know, we've discerned, we've studied, and you can't, and God wouldn't. Sometimes we push people out by our lack of comfort with them or their, our judgment for them, or maybe because they've hurt us, or maybe we just don't want to make room for them. I think of the countless stories of folks I've talked to who are wanting to come to our church but wondering if they'll fit in. Or be welcome there. A lady I go to the gym with, as you can imagine. 
She'll say, if I walk into that church, the ceiling will fall in on me. I go, I promise you, if it hadn't fallen in on me, you'll be fine. <laughs> I've literally had the conversation with people based on their lifestyles, marital status, color of their skin. They ask, would I be welcomed? Or because of their denominational background, their affinity, their current sin situation, or their different struggles. I've had multiple people tell me they respect Jesus, they believe in his message, but they're afraid that, that the church would, be, uh, would do too much damage to them again. Can I tell you, our city and our nation, our world is full of misfits who God loves and desire enough to see Jesus that they're searching church websites, they're watching your social media posts, they're cautiously watching us gather together in crowds on Sundays, and they're wondering if they would be welcomed in at all. People are wondering if they can participate with your friend group and at work because they're not sure if they'd fit in with whatever gospel you're talking about. You all know this. People are calling, reaching out because they have felt needs. They need counseling, help with their kids. They, they got a kid who's come out and they don't know what to say. They need, they're struggling with finances. They, but how many of us have been on a call or, or, or been in a meeting and, and what they really need is Jesus, but what they get stuck with is us. And we just don't handle them well. I mean, can you imagine that crowd shouldering up side by side going, don't let Zacchaeus in here. We're going to see Jesus. It's like a parade route, right? Here comes Jesus and they're all crowded in going, we can't wait to see him. And this short guy who can't see over their shoulders has to climb a tree. Here's what I believe, though, from this story. That seeing Jesus will change their lives. Seeing Jesus will change a life. Here's hope coming through when Jesus comes to Zacchaeus. He had heard of Jesus. He'd heard that he'd accept him. And he'd heard that he's good to everybody. How many of you know Jesus never did any bad thing ever one time when he was on earth? Even misfits, scumbags, the filthy, even a guy like Zacchaeus who had betrayed his own family in order to get rich on the exploitation of his own people. He thought, this guy will li listen to me and accept me. So Zacchaeus climbs a tree where Jesus would, would come walking by like a huge parade. This guy couldn't see Christ, so he runs ahead. He climbs a tree. Maybe he was trying to get ahead so others wouldn't see him. But maybe he was trying to get in the tree so he could see Jesus. Maybe he was hoping to just look at Jesus, get a feel for him, and just... Plan to follow him or follow him from a distance. Talk about undignified activity. Rich people don't run like this. Men don't run like this in this culture. But he climbs a tree, rich and dignified. And watch what happens in verse 5. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up. That means Jesus saw him. Which tells you something about our Lord. He's looking. He's looking in your neighborhood for misfits. He's looking in your family for the ones that have walked away. He's looking all the time. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God who's got his eyes on the hill for the missing son to come home? Jesus looks up. I wonder if Zacchaeus was thinking, if you've ever looked at a sycamore tree, it's, it's in full bloom. It's pretty bushy. You can't see through it. So I wonder if Zacchaeus thought, I can hide up here. But Jesus looked up. It takes me back to that first verse where it said, Jesus had to pass through. And I think... This encounter is why Jesus had to go through this town. So Jesus says to him, hey, Zacchaeus, how does he know his name? Hurry down and come here, for I'm going to stay at your house today. How many of you know sinners hate when Christians hang out with, I mean, uh, religious people hate when Jesus hangs out with sinners, right? Same is true with us, right? I can't believe my pastor was having lunch with so-and-so. So he hurried and he came down and he, Zacchaeus, received Jesus joyfully. But watch this. Remember the crowd. 
verse 7 says, when they saw this exchange. Now, they started with celebration, parade route. Like, they're so excited to see Jesus. But when they see Jesus being all Jesus-y, they grumbled about it. I mean, imagine Jesus doing the thing he's known for, causing complaints. Hey, church, doing the things we should be known for might cause complaints from religious people. That's okay. Reaching the people that we're called to reach might might require some complaints from some insider churchy folks. That's okay. The crowds, when they saw this exchange, they grumbled. And Jesus, they said, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Look at Zacchaeus' response in verse 8. Zacchaeus stood. He doesn't respond to the crowd. I love that. He doesn't defend Jesus. He doesn't defend himself. He just looks at the Lord. I'm telling you, if people can just get a glimpse of Jesus, they'll put their eyes on him and focus on him. They won't care what crazy people say about, about us, right? He looks at the Lord and he said, God, behold, half of my goods I will give to the, the poor. Now, you got to understand, all religious people were used to giving a tenth. Zacchaeus was so moved and so transformed, he said, I'll do five times a tenth. I'll give half of what I have away, 50% of everything. That's the power of God in a changed life. Then he says, if I've defrauded anyone, I'll pay it back to them fourfold. In the Old Testament, the law said if you steal or defraud from anybody, you have to pay them back double. If you steal 100 bucks, you got to give them back 200. Zacchaeus was so moved by an encounter with Jesus, he said, if I've defrauded or messed anybody over, I'll pay them back twice and then twice more. Just, I got to get it off my conscience. I got to get it off my life. I want to pay them back and bless them over the top. That's the power of God to change a life. He wrecked his life. Jesus changed his life. He goes from a tithe to five tithes. He goes from paying them twice to paying them four times. How powerful it is when God gets a hold of someone's life. Verse 9, Jesus says, today salvation has come. I mean, even though that's, that's why we want people to see Jesus. Notice Jesus didn't say perfect behavior modification has come to this house. Super disciplined discipleship has come to this house. Some of us get so impatient with the mom who keeps cutting her hair and putting on makeup with her three boys. We get so impatient that they're still sleeping together out of marriage or or cussing like a sailor. Some of y'all need some cussers in your church. You know what I'm saying? Y'all just need them around. Jesus said salvation has come. He didn't say deliverance has come. He didn't say full discipleship has come. I mean, if you know, before, before they get discipled, they got to get saved. Before God got Egypt out of the people, he got to get them out of Egypt first. <laughs> he said today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. I love, watch what Jesus did. He took a misfit and fit him back in. You're the reason I came, son of Abraham. Oh, man. I'm so thankful that a kid with no dad has a father now, that a kid that doesn't belong has a place to belong now because God takes misfits and says, you belong. And look what Jesus says, for I came to seek and save the lost. Are you kidding me? The misfit has a place 
with Jesus, the misfit who was pushed out by others, had to, had to do what seemed undignified and strange. He climbs a tree. He found a place with Jesus. Nobody may have understood what God did that day, but Zacchaeus knew what God did that day, and that was enough. Listen, the crowd grumbled. They probably thought for weeks and months, like they did with Paul, there's no way that guy got changed. There's no, y'all read the story of Saul's conversion to Paul. The Christians were like, there's no way that guy's changed. Can I tell you something? On Halloween of 97, when I gave my life to Jesus, I went home that night and I told my mom, I said, Mom, I went to this church thing. Cute girl brought me. Motivations were pure, I promise. But I gave my life to Jesus. And my mom, with that deep wound of being kicked out of the church, said this thing to me. They scared you. It's a phase. You'll grow out of it. The crowds will grumble when God wrecks a life. Just trust God to change people anyway. When Jesus changes a person, it's real. He does it, and his disciple, his transformation may take the rest of their lives. You and I don't get to determine the pace of God's transformation in a person. But how many of you know he found Jesus? He found change. He found salvation. And that is the reason Jesus came. And then Jesus gave us that same reason for being. Zacchaeus didn't just feel better. He was different. He did more. He became better. He, he went further in his repentance than anyone would have seen yet in the Gospels, in fact. When Jesus changes a person, they're changed. God doesn't just save them. He transforms them. And that's my hope for our response to a message like this. Now, listen, that we would make sure that misfits get a chance to see Jesus in our churches See, I'm convinced so many times people come to our church for the first time hoping to see Jesus, hoping to meet the Father, and then they meet our lobbies. And then they meet our teams, and then they meet that one judgmental lady or fella. You know what I'm talking about? So what do we do with this text? By the way, if you don't see passion, I mean, this is one of the most, this is one of the things that drives our church. I talk about it in my book. Parable Church, available for $15 in the lobby. <laughs> I'm not even here to sell books. I'm here to bless you. If you need it, just take it and we'll bill Mark Dean. <laughs> I want to end. You ready? <laughs> so, so what do we do with misfits in our lives? What do I do with broken couple wanting to join our church or the single mom with three boys? The current addict person who just never fits our comfort zone but wants desperately to get to know Jesus? What do we do with the desperate business owner who's just made a ton of mistakes and he's stolen money and he's, he's, he's trying to keep everything together? What do we do with the misfit at the gas station, the homosexual, the, the transgendered person, the, the, the Muslim, the Sikh, the, the atheist? What do we do with the person in your neighborhood who doesn't believe that the people will treat him right but desperately needs Jesus? How do we exist for those who aren't here yet? Well, I want to challenge you with this last thought. I want to do a choose-your-own-adventure game. Take this story that you all know so well because you've read your Bibles, I hope. And I want you to pick a character. Who would you like to be in this story? Now, let me just say it first. You're not Jesus. <laughs> so just scratch that out. Some of you are like, I'll just be the Lord. No. It's not an Easter play. You don't have good hair or abs. You're not Jesus. Okay. He'll be Jesus all by himself. Well, how about this character, Zacchaeus? Maybe that's you. Maybe that's been your story. I was Zacchaeus. 
Definitely felt like a misfit, but God, by his grace, saw me one night on Halloween in 97. We call it the year of our Lord, 1997. Maybe you're the misfit. Maybe you've got those people on your team. They have reasons why someone's tried to limit their access to the church or to the Lord. Maybe you've made mistakes. Your life's not perfect. You've come from a different religion, troubled past, background, whatever. Maybe you're here even listening to this message and you're wondering, why in the world am I here at a ministry conference? Because I feel like I don't fit. I feel like I don't belong. You've just never felt like you fit in with Christ. Let me tell you something. He is for you. He loves you. He's good to you. He will never do bad to you. He sees you. He knows your name. He knows everything about you. He is madly and deeply in love with you, Zacchaeus. He wants to know you and do life with you, so welcome home. What if, though, you pick the next character, which is the crowd? And the reality is, I think, a lot of church folks don't even realize that we have naturally become the crowd. We keep people from seeing the Jesus that we're facing, worshiping. Our backs are to them because our face is to him. We complain when Jesus meets them. We go, I'm not comfortable with tax collectors, sinners, drunkards, lepers, homosexuals, black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, white people. Are you gathered with others so busy in your holy huddle that you never make an opening for others to see the Lord we're looking at? Can I tell you, churches are full of people who I think unconsciously, I don't know real Christians who do this intentionally. And I think that crowd that day was not just trying to block Zacchaeus. I think they were just trying to see Jesus. And I think that's what happens in our church. I think that's what happened to us in Shreveport. That that church was trying their best to figure out what holiness looked like and what I don't agree with them, but I think they were trying. But unconsciously and subconsciously and unintentionally, they kept my family from seeing the Jesus they were facing. Well, I don't think anybody would sign up for that character. I'll be the crowd. Maybe some of you would say, I've been Zacchaeus or I feel like him now. None of you get to be Jesus. But there's one more character in the story that's actually my favorite character, and it's the character that you can be. It's the tree. It's the tree. He's my favorite character in the whole story. He's pivotal. He's crucial. He's written about. Think about the annals of his history tells the story of a sycamore tree on a path where Jesus was coming by. And he was absolutely necessary. Here's what I like about the tree. He didn't have an agenda. He didn't have an opinion. Get off me, Zacchaeus, you crazy, you know. He didn't ask, a, you know, how do you vote before you climb up here? That tree had no agenda, no pretense, no preconditions. Sometime years prior, God in his providence knew that there would be a seed to land in the ground next to that trail that would one day grow and serve a purpose, maybe 30 years later, that it would become the platform that God would use for some sinner to climb on and stand on and break branches and breathe through so that Jesus could see that man. And the only purpose of that tree would be to one day lift up this guy that no one else would lift up, that no one else saw value in. And that tree would proudly stand with branches terrible and breaking and snapping under the weight of this grown man just to provide a platform so that Jesus 
could see Zacchaeus. Come on, what if we would just be the tree? It seems like such a simple object in the way of the history, but really the tree is what made the connection that the God of creation planted a part of his creation in order to redeem another part. And you and I get to be a part of somebody's story. We may be silent and unbiased, just serving a purpose, opening a door, rocking a child, playing a guitar, silently providing the branches for others to step on and climb on and abuse and snap out of place. Being the tree doesn't come with agenda, exclusions, or opinions. We simply stand in the way, we get in the way, we be the way that others can come running to see Jesus. And we just let them stand on our face and make our lives uncomfortable. And they take our seats and they cost our money and they break us with their misfit. And they're despisable to everybody but Jesus. They're shameful to every one of us because we're still just working it out. And as awful as they are, They can see Jesus when we serve them and we lift them up and we welcome them in and we don't stand shoulder to shoulder crowding them out. Listen, when you complain, you're the crowd. Well, pastor, I don't like the way we're doing things around here. That's not the kind of music I prefer. I don't know about them holes in them jeans, pastor. What happened to our organ, bless God? When you complain, you're the crowd. I'm not giving up my seat for nobody. Well, then get out. Because Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. You got to understand something in your church. Jesus is not that impressed with you. He's desperate for them. When you quit, you're the crowd. When you hijack vision and get in the way of what God's telling your leadership to do, and you get in the way of Jesus being seen and and Jesus seeing them, you're the crowd. When you determine who's not allowed to come into these hollowed halls of this church, you are the crowd. And they're not the heroes of this story. But hey, Minnesota, when you serve, you're the tree. When you give, you're the tree. When you give to an offering, you're the tree. When you host a small group, you're the tree. When you pray with that business owner, you're the tree. When you give advice and financial contribution, you're the tree. When you make room for poor people and people who don't belong and people who don't look like you, when you give up your seat and say, please come here. And it's a, it's a couple that knew they wouldn't belong, but you make somebody feel like they fit where they didn't belong. You become the tree. When you let people step on you, be the tree. When you let them mistreat you, snap your life, disregard your heart for them, just be a tree. Serve faithfully. Serve willingly. Zacchaeus is out there, and he's dying to see Jesus. He's also dying to be seen. The reality is Jesus died to be seen as well. Don't try to be Jesus. Repent of being the crowd. Just be the tree. So my prayer for us tonight, it's real simple. We got to just decide, Lord, use me. You can have me however you want. I'll, I'll, I'll rearrange everything. God, just plant me somewhere. Grow. I may not like the, can you imagine the sycamore tree going, I'd rather be planted by the beach. I'd rather be planted by Jerusalem, not Jericho. 
Some of you feel that way. You're like, God, I'll, you can use me if I can go where I want. No, just be planted, stay put, and let God use you. And let people climb on you and be visible to Jesus. Never be the crowd. Always be the tree. Listen, thousands of people who are far from God and at risk of going to hell, people who know their misfits and mishaps and self-inflicted wounds, whatever their reason is, they need you to be the tree, to lift them up that Jesus can see their lives. Did you get anything out of this message tonight? Is it challenging for you? Be the tree. Can we stand across the room tonight? Man, I love this story of Zacchaeus. I love what God did in his life. I love that he used a, a tree. That's the hero. God, would you please, 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 God, forgive us. Forgive us for being a crowd member. Forgive us to, for trying to be Jesus. We don't save anybody. We don't change anybody. You do that. God, forgive us for blocking out misfits. Forgive us, God, for pushing people away from the God that we're facing. God, forgive us. May we be reminded of our commission from our master, Jesus Christ, to go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It, no, nothing in the commission says check their profile and their status. God, forgive us for being the crowd. Lord, I pray that every one of us would just submit tonight again. And I know, God, on the night of ordination, we're in a place as newly ordained and credentialed ministers where we say, Lord, here am I, use me. But I pray for all of us that have been doing this a while, that we'd be reminded of that claim that we made to you. God, here am I. Use me. Let them step on me. Let my life be available to be used and mistreated and stepped upon. I won't be taken advantage of, God. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we, we would let our lives be a resource that people can come to know Jesus. Now, God, I want to pray over every community impacted by these leaders tonight, every neighborhood around our churches, every, every one of us struggles with the folks that we've lost through COVID. God, I think you struggle through the folks that you've lost through the terrible pandemic of sin. So God, I pray that we would begin to look for ways to introduce Zacchaeus to Jesus, to let our churches be a place that lifts up the name of Christ and makes room for people to meet the Lord, not, not makes room for them to stay in their sin or, or, or makes room for our church to be places of compromise. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, God, that we would be places where your name is very much on full display, that we worship you recklessly, Lord God, that we preach with boldness the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that forgiveness comes only through the Lord. And God, that we would absolutely, with all of our heart and, and all of our soul, God, that we'd be a people who say, Lord, here am I, use me. I will be a tree to the glory of God. Can you open your hands to the Lord and just say it tonight? Say, God, I'm all in. Say, Lord, use me however you want. To the glory of God, I'm all yours. To be used, to be used for the glory of God that others can see you. God, let me be an instrument of salvation for other people in Jesus' name. Just say it again like you did when you started. God, here am I. Use me to your glory in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship the Lord tonight. Just spend some time with God.